0: This is On The Grid, powered by the Racetalk.com, on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone, and welcome to another episode of On The Grid, here on mypodcasthouse.com. Of course, On The Grid, powered by the Racetalk.com. and the great news about that is that we've got one of theracetalk.com's greatest here with us to have a chat to us, Formula One in just a tick. Big show coming up. Crowley from the we will talk to us about uh, the supports happening at the Australian Grand Prix this week. We've also got Todd Hazelwood coming up for a chat. And a little bit later on, we're going to have a chat to Mark Brax as well and talk about what was an amazing opening round of the MotoGP for 2019. But it gives me great pleasure to say a very day. Very good eh? Yeah, that'll do. Uh, Dale Rogers. Good day, Dale. Hey, Tony, how are you, mate? I'm fantastic. Uh, this is a great time of the year, isn't it? This lead up to the Australian Formula One Grand Prix.
1: It is. You know, coming out of Adelaide with the first round of the SuperCars, the Melbourne will be a buzz. There's a there's a fantastic new feature this week where all the drivers will be on stage at Federation Square on Wednesday, and uh, uh, it's a good time to be in Melbourne. The, 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 the program looks great, and obviously there's been a lot of big news out of uh, out of Europe after testing.
0: Yeah, well, let's go through some of the uh, the testing results and what we've seen over the uh, the last couple of weeks, and uh, not too many real surprises, I suppose.
1: No, it's hard to read, Tony. I mean, the cars are running different strategies. They run, we know what tyres they're running because that was published this year, but they're running different loads. The really interesting thing was that the, the, the two Ferraris really, really did uh, – put it up to the, to the uh, Mercedes. There was only 3 one thousandth of a second between Vettel and Hamilton after the eight days of testing, and that was the last day. But Charles Leclerc was probably the big surprise packet. He was right on the pace. He was only one-tenth behind uh, Hamilton and Vettel after the wrap-up of the uh, eight days. Uh, Thirteen cars within a second. So I think what shows is that the middle order has stepped it up. Uh, the new rules with the, the new re- uh, front and rear wing don 't appear to have really changed the order, but some of the really interesting performances from the uh, the test season or the testing at the two four days in Barcelona, uh Red bull didn't really feature tony they they, yeah. they they weren't anywhere, but it appears from from the information we've had from uh, Barcelona that they did a lot of long runs, so they were on they weren 't going for outright pace on one lap, so there's no doubt when you looked at their long run pace they were right on it. Uh, mclaren uh, featured in a couple of uh, instances at the top of the top of the charts yeah uh, I think for mclaren it's they look like they've joined the midfield, and that really is a great thing for for that team uh, for coming off some dismal performances. What it did show, though, was that it wasn't the Renault engine and it wasn't the uh, the Honda engine in the back of that car last couple of years. It was the chassis. Mm. Um, the car looked as though it was a better proposition this year and both drivers uh, performed a little bit better. The Renault wasn't too bad. A
0: lot of, of been spoken about uh, Daniel Ricciardo and his chances. We did see Nico Hülkenberg do pretty well in testing?
1: Yeah, I think the Renault looked uh, looked pretty sharp. Interestingly, it, it, it was showing of sort of that rake that the, we're used to seeing on the Red Bulls. It's got a, it had quite a severe rake. In fact, the front wing hitting the ground on a number of occasions. Uh, I think they will be pretty happy. I, I think legitimately they are the fourth team. If they close the gap to Red Bull, yeah, you'd hope so. And if Red Bull close the gap to Ferrari and uh, Mercedes, yes, you'd hope that as well. So I think legitimately the fourth team. And I think Daniel's got to go to the season uh, and with Hulkenberg saying that they've got a chance for some podiums here. I don't think they're they're that that far off it. And I think probably for the very first
0: time, even Toro Rosso is flying a flag to say we are generally the fourth team. I think they were quite impressive through testing.
1: Yeah, they were. And I think if you look at the Red Bull strategy overall between the two teams, what a stroke of genius. You know, they had that Honda engine in that car last year. The Red Bull guys were all over it. They knew about the packaging. We know Newey packages cars very tightly. So he was able to work with the Honda engineers with the way they were going to work for 12 months before they had to drop a Honda engine in the back of that Red Bull. So I think that the two teams with the Hondas this year, if the reliability's there, will both show up pretty well. And that's been the biggest problem with the Honda, hasn't it, reliability? Without doubt, it has been. But, uh, you know, they've all run some, some incredible numbers in testing. It's, uh, uh, some of the, the numbers and the laps that they've actually run is, is, is extraordinary. Some of the uh, over 2,790 laps for Ferrari, yes. 2,300 for Mercedes, the Renaults. So they've, they've run really, really long distances. The only team that didn't actually get anywhere near it on, on the scale, unfortunately, was Williams. Uh, late to testing, missed a couple of days of the first four days, uh, and they are so far off the mark. Uh, George Russell, who's a great young talent uh, from uh, from Formula Two, uh, as is Lando Norris now with with McLaren. But uh, uh, you know he was nearly second behind uh, the, the the slowest, which was the Racing Point Carrot Perez. But but the returning Robert Kubica was almost another second behind mm-hmm. that. So they are a mile behind, unfortunately.
0: We'll talk a little bit later on with Krause in regards to supercars and and the closing of the gap between the haves and the have-nots in supercars. It seems to me that there's a a massive widening of the gap between the haves and have-nots in F1.
1: Well, I think that's true, but it's the midfield, I think, where we're going to see the action this year because the other team that did particularly well in testing was Haas, uh, and they performed very well last year as well. They've got a full Ferrari alliance. A lot of people say, like the Red Bull and the Toro Rosso, there's a lot of Ferrari in that car. Uh, they've got all the current 2019 specs in the car. They went particularly well as well. So you've got Haas, you've got the other team we haven't mentioned yet is Alfa Romeo, which mm. is the rebound Sauber. They were also pretty strong, and they've got a you know with Kimi on board there. They've got a great lineup. Uh, you throw McLaren into that, possibly in the midfield. Uh, Renault clearly in the midfield. You've got f- sort of from from the fourth team to the to the eighth team. All really on it And I think that it, it, You know If Mercedes and, and Ferrari run off To the distance Which we think They probably will The the next battle down Could provide some of The best racing We've seen for many years They are very very close Saw a team called Racing Point I think Sergio Perez Is, racing. is that
0: the old Force India?
1: It is yes In its new incarnation And uh, you know uh, Lance Stroll's dad just went out and bought it. Uh, cleverly, uh, Perez put the team in administration last year, not because he wanted to get the money back. It's it's really because he was engineered to put it in administration so Stroll could buy it out yeah. without sacking everybody. So it was a it was a, a corporate play. Uh, Stroll's got a team that he can place his son in. Uh, you know... Time will tell whether that's going to be the right recipe. But, uh, look, the cars, again, it's strong. They've built great chassis the last couple of years, and I think, that, again, they'll be in the, in, the, in the mix as well. So that midfield, I think, is where our, where our entertainment's going to be. But don't discount this Ferrari-Mercedes battle. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, Hamilton was saying that he thinks the car is better than theirs at this stage of the year. It's all gamesmanship, of course. Uh, Ferrari is saying under their new management uh, that, that they're you know, taking it cautiously. But the cars were quick and they were, they were very reliable. They did you know, Both of them had some, some issues. Uh, Vettel had a big off at, uh, on, at, at Barcelona as well. But there's no doubt that I think the, the, the closeness of those two teams, given that Ferrari probably threw it away last year, uh, they should come out very strong.
0: No one can even fathom the amount of pressure that this new Ferrari management would be under.
1: No, extraordinary. Uh, Mattia Binotto took over. Uh, 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 River Bandy was uh, said uh, farewell, and I think correctly. He was, he was very harsh with the media. It was very hard to get information out of him. He was uh, not really a racer. You know, he was, he was from corporate. He was a Philip Morris guy who was parachuted in. Binotto's been with the team a long time, so I think, once again, you've got a racer running the team. Uh, he's got a very different style. Uh, but Marinello, the focus will be on them for sure. But I think the interesting thing will be is where Vettel has had a, a, a you know, wingman in, in Raikkonen in the last couple of years, the team have instructed on what to do and he's, he's capitulated. Uh, will Charles Leclerc do this? I mean, they've clearly hired Leclerc as the future of the team. Yeah. Uh, so all of a sudden, Vettel's going to have, like he had with Ricardo at, uh, at Red Bull, he's going to have a young guy who wants to make his mark. So I think that the dynamics at Ferrari is going to be quite different this year. I think Sebastian can live with that, though. I think where Sebastian has issues
0: with is if the guy all of a sudden believes that he should be the number one driver. And I think if Charles just holds back that ambition, everyone expects that he's going to have you know, ambition to be a great driver. I think Vettel expects that. But once Leclerc starts to give indication that he actually wants more than what he should actually be getting, that's what I think Vettel will start to, to play the game and say, hang on, mate. <laughs> Yeah, that's just not where you should
1: be. Well, he will—he'll play that go to management. Uh, whether the new manager will listen to it, well, I that's mean, true too. R- Ricardo took him to the cleaners in the last year at Red Bull, and uh, that was that was a signal for for Tell to move on. So, I think Leclerc is one of the, you know, the massive talents to emerge mm. from this sport, and uh, the fact that he's uh, he's already on, you know, a, a tenth, a second behind his two uh, two main rivals. Uh, I think I don't think you've ever seen Kimi in that position in 2018 testing. Yeah. Kimi was pounding around, doing a great job. We love him, but uh, this this kid's on it, and I think it's going to be a very interesting time this year. Ferrari.
0: What happens on Sunday race time?
1: Well, expect to see red and silver cars on the front of the grid, uh, and I think if we can survive the first corner melee, where normally is someone uh, uh, you know off on the dirt, uh, you'd have to think that those those teams. The guy we haven't mentioned is Bottas, uh, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and I think that that you know really again. Hamilton's in a perfect position. Bottas will will do what he's what he's told to do. So Hamilton's probably got a better situation this year than perhaps Vettel has. Uh, Bottas now is, dare I say, driving for his career because he will be. uh, He'll stay there if they give him a contract. Will he go anywhere else? He'll only go down if he goes anywhere else. And he's good for a couple of wins a year. But he is absolutely he will do what uh, what uh, Toto Wolff tells him to do. So they're in a great position. He's quick. Make no bones about it. But he's in a great car. Uh, And then hopefully we've got a a number three Renault. Right behind them, yeah. But wouldn't that be nice? Uh, does Lewis Hamilton go much longer than this year? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Tony. Is it? Uh, uh, I think he's got records in his sights now. I think he's, you know, he's capable of taking pretty well all of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, he talks every year about, you know, I am not in this for the long haul. I'm, I want to do other things. And he has this sort of rock star life, which I think for the sport is great. You know, it's something a bit different rather than just the the corporate uh, yeah. drones. But uh, yeah, look, uh, if he really has a battle on his hands this year and he, you know, if he gets through, perhaps he will. I think he's got another couple of years in him. I think he, he really now cites that, that he can be the owner of pretty well every record in the book. That's a big, big enticement, and he's driving at the top of his game. His driving last year was superb. You yeah. know, there's no question about it.
0: All right, mate. We'll uh, have a chat to you next week and wrap up what hopes to be a very, very interesting and exciting First round of the Formula One Championship here on the streets of Albert Park. Stick with us, folks. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. Richard Crowell will join us to talk about the support acts at Albert Park. And Richard Crowell joins us on the line. G'day, Crowellzy. Hello, boys. How are you? Mate, we're fantastic. Dale, uh, what a massive weekend it is, isn't it? Supercars this weekend. Uh, The second year that they come on board as a a round of the the supercar season. And after what we saw in Adelaide, we can expect some
1: good fireworks, I would have thought. I think it's made all the difference, Tony, that uh, it is a championship round. It's uh, it's no longer just uh, driving around and doing a bit of testing. Last year's racing was very good. The format's great, the Saturday night race particularly. Uh, although it's probably not going to be pissing down rain, it's it's uh, it's it's really it's a great, great night out. Uh, finishing in the dark and last year's race, I think, was one of the classics of the year with Scotty Pye getting his first win.
0: Yeah, it's, is it, it can throw up a few variables, can't it, uh, Albert Park, for the supercars, crazy?
2: Yeah, it can. It, it was funny, wasn't it? Last year's race was almost an inadvertent night race. Uh, and, and it was proof of concept before we even got to Sydney Motorsport Park that the whole thing was going to work because uh, the weather conditions, there was that dark cloud coming over, so the twilight that we had didn't really happen in the first place. So it just went real dark and it was starting to spit with rain. And it's one of the more atmospheric motor racing things I've ever seen. It was just brilliant. Um, yeah, terrific event, uh, proof that the night and twilight stuff works. And Albert Park's one of those tracks that, Sometimes the racing can be a bit professional but gee it can throw up those variables and it can throw up big drama and I think that's what we like about it.
0: Last year with the with the round being a part of the championship it did throw up the variables as we've spoken about. In the past though, it was a bit of a procession wasn't it?
1: They always were though. They, they were they were short races. It was impossible to pass. You you really finished where you you started on the grid or you had a massive accident and that's really was the wash up of most of those sprint races at uh, at the Grand Prix. It does show that these cars really come to their own with longer races. They're not sprint car compatible, uh, sprint race compatible, I should say, and uh, those 10-lap, 13-lap Screamers really were just a procession waiting for an accident.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Krause, your thoughts on what might uh, transpire this weekend on the streets of Adelaide for supercars? Well, it's test number
2: two for 2019, isn't it, in that it'll give us a bit of a, a better form guide as to who's where and who's who in the zoo in the championship this year, but it's still not going to be a definitive form guide of the season. And and everybody that you speak to in industry is going Phillip Island, Phillip Island is going to be the racetrack that will tell everything. And by the time we get there, we will have been to a tight bumpy street circuit in Adelaide, a fast flowing street circuit, but still a street circuit in Melbourne, the bull ring at Simmons Plains, and then the high speed proper aero circuit that is Phillip Island. By then we'll have a clue, but We'll be able to unpick a few more variables. Variables about who's where. What I'm looking at this weekend is where the teams that let us down in Adelaide rebound. So I'm looking at the Nissans who have traditionally been quite fast at Albert Park. I'm looking at Walkinshaw Racing, who obviously were the stars of the show there last year, and were at the front with both cars. And Scotty Pye had that amazing victory, as has been well documented. So I'm I'm looking for those stories. To see how they rebound from an absolute shocker in Adelaide and, and those two teams in particular, we singled out, uh, on the website as to, you know, not, not impressing with their performance of being subpar, both where they thought they'd be and where everyone else thought they'd be. So that's what I'm looking at. Um, and it's another test for the Mustang teams. If, if they unload and they're fast again at, uh, at Albert Park, as we think they probably will be, um, then it's another tick in that box that they've got that car right and it's going to be a, a contender year long.
0: Dale, what sort of, and you've been inside teams before, so I ask you this question, knowing that you might know the answer, what sort of soul-searching would the Wilkinshaw and Ritter United team have done in the last two weeks, knowing that they've been so strong in the past on street circuits and failed so badly in Adelaide compared to what they would have been expecting, what would have gone on between those four walls in the last two weeks?
1: Oh, Tony, I think they would have been devastated. I think they, they went to Phillip Island for the test uh, full of confidence. Uh, they came off, a, you know, towards the end of last year, they were showing some reasonable signs. Scotty certainly was having some good results. But as, as Crowley said, they just got pole in Adelaide. They did, They never looked like they were they were going to be a, a competitive force. So I think they would have gone back. The debrief would have been tearing it right back to basics. Uh, whether they're trying to over-engineer the car, whether they're trying to do too much, uh, the, the ZB certainly works. We saw the Triple Eight cars go particularly well in Adelaide, uh, albeit against the Mustang. Uh, Brad Jones's cars performed well in Adelaide, and that was probably a bit of a surprise. And we expected the Walkinshaw cars to be there. So, I would have thought that debrief would have been an absolute. Uh, it would have been to the max. They would have would have stripped the cars to the to basics. They would have gone through everything those cars were doing. Clearly, neither car was working. You know, they got into the top ten, and mm. they were but, but the cars certainly weren't on song. So clearly, from an engineering standpoint, the finger's got to be pointed at the engineering group to say you've really missed the mark here. Just a point on the on 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 uh, Albert Park, and I think as Kralsey mentioned a couple of years ago, when the when the FG Falcon got its wings clipped at Albert Park, uh, it showed dramatically in these long radius corners. And I think mm. that's going to be something this weekend as well. So if those Walkinshaw cars are not performing well on this track after not performing well in Adelaide, they've really got some issues because the car is capable of, of handling those long uh, radius corners really well. It's certainly knocked the FG Falcon for six at, at, uh, when it happens. So yeah, a lot of soul searching there from both uh, drivers and engineers. I would have thought. Yeah, no. And
2: the other interesting yep. thing about Walkinshaw is Walkinshaw United is that a all three team owners are going to be there, which I think might be the first time that they've all been in the same place watching it but b that's a team that didn't build new cars for this season so they're still running the same gear from last year which which is fascinating so i mean you would expected them to have dropped out at the adelaide 500 running a similar but developed setup to what they had last year and and gone really well and that's a team that's won that event twice in the last five years um so yeah like dale said you'd expect them to be good in melbourne where they've traditionally been quite strong as well um, it's It's been later in the season where they've struggled for that consistency they're looking for. So, yeah, in, interesting to see how they rebound.
0: Going to catch up with uh, Todd Hazelwood shortly and uh, have a chat to him. But, Crowley, uh, what an impressive uh, debut of 2019 for him and the, the new car and uh, you know, a whole lot of new things happening there at Matt Stone Racing. Uh, can they keep that form and that improvement through into the Grand Prix?
2: Well, it's another test for them for sure. Um, I, I, it's a great storyline, isn't it? That that both that performance and that of Mark Winterbottom in the Erwin racing car and, and how they both performed. And we're racing with and at times beating the factory Triple Eight cars, bearing in mind their customers of the Works Holden team. So, um, yeah, great storyline. Uh, but again, it, it's another test, isn't it? it? It's a new, a new venue, a new type of circuit. Todd was in a different car at this point in the season last year. So. For them at Albert Park, it's starting from scratch, but surely being able to plug in some 888 data and some engineering now from that outfit into their car is going to help, the cause. And say so the same for Mark Winterbottom, who back in when, when Tickford were championship contenders, that team was always pretty good at Albert Park. So he's another one that you'd expect to go well. Uh, and you'd like to see, speaking of 888 customers, you'd like to see Jack LeBrock have a, a better weekend uh, the truck assist car was not good in Adelaide, and they really struggled. So you'd like to think that that second-year driver could be another one to uh, have a, a slightly different change of form this weekend and go well. But um, isn't it a good story, though, guys, to have the the little teams that could, mm. bearing in mind these factory alliances, but, but they've happened for years and years. Half the field were Larry Perkins' customers for most of the 1990s. Um, isn't it nice to have these single-car teams still being plucky and being competitive and racing amongst the big dogs in the sport. It's a great story and it seems more prevalent after one round this year than it has for the last couple.
1: Yeah, we tackled that last year, uh, uh, Kralsey, on the race talk when we spoke to both Charlie Sherkolt and and the Monday people. And, uh, you know, you've got to say that they've also, uh, I think, struck gold by aligning themselves with uh, the Tickford group because mm. uh, Phil Monday's a great operator, and I think the, that getting that car into that four-car squad at Tickford has also meant, although it's still a single-car team, it's benefiting from that association. So, you know, th- these guys are really starting to punch above their weights, but it does show, I think, with stability of rules over a period of time, the access to these uh, these cars, which are effectively factory cars, that it does level the grid up. And we're still seeing this, you know, qualifying. You make one little mistake, you miss an apex, and you've dropped six spots. So, uh, you know, for for these guys, if they if they fettle the equipment well, if they uh, some teams have always been very good on the on the factory settings and gone with Triple Eight or gone with Tickford uh, gear and don't try and over engineer the car, they can perform particularly well. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. The question that I want to ask both of
0: you, and it's something that has been bugging me since Adelaide. And it's the alliance now between Jamie Wincup and Mark Winterbottom. Do we seriously think that after all the bitterness that has been those two in the past 10 to 12 years or so, or even longer, they've been racing each other since they were kids, do we seriously believe that that's all been pushed aside and Jamie Wincup's going to allow his data to help improve Mark Winterbottom and Mark Winterbottom's going to allow his data to help Jamie Winkup? I just can't see that working.
2: Well... Yeah, I I see what you're saying, but and started, even Jamie,
0: Jamie pointed even to that to an extent with a little hint of sarcasm in the press conference on uh, on was it Saturday I think it was no it was,
2: it was it was Sunday Sunday I think he said, okay you're looking at you're looking at Frosty's data and he was like yeah yeah, yeah it's it's interesting he's going to be a good he's driver good, that bloke. He's, he's a good driver yeah <laughs> um well, I, I don't think it's a case of Jamie not liking or wanting Frosty to have his data I think it's that Frosty's team's paying. Role and yeah. to have access to the data, and there's not much Jamie can do about it. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, for me, that that rivalry, though it had good moments, was it, it never exploded, did it? Yeah. It it never blew up into Brock v Moffat or Brock v Johnson or that great tribal stuff that we had and maybe that's just a sign of the times in the way people follow the motor racing now but
0: oh, there was one time Carlsy, and it was at Sandown and they were having pictures done it was when both Winkup and Winterbottom were in line for the championship and they wanted yeah. a picture they wanted to get a picture of the two of them together with the trophy and neither Winkup or Winterbottom would allow that they said you will have to take photos of us separately because we're not standing next to each other
2: yeah but how much of that just was game playing in the thick of a oh. championship battle yeah, does does yeah. Jamie Does Jamie Winkup, old seven times? Does he seriously think that a single car team, even with good machinery and all the data, does he seriously think that they're going to be week in week out contenders to the powerhouse that is Triple Eight? I don't reckon he does. I think he respects them, and I think he respects Mark Winterbottom immensely because that's that's Jamie Winkup. You know, Carlson, I, I, don't, I don't think he's overly concerned.
1: You know, it's funny that you, that this conversation because. Uh, Oftentimes when drivers uh, uh, take data and start setting their car up according to the, what the data is telling them, uh, they get completely lost. And there's yeah, been many a driver who's, uh, who's, who's, who's said to the engineer, for God's sake, can we just get rid of the data we're getting from Tickford or from Walkinshaw or wherever it is? Can we go our own way? And bingo, all of a sudden that, that, that driver starts to perform. So it's great information and uh, you know, I think Roland's pretty happy to, to sell some of it. Not all of it, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it is good rivalry, and, it's, and it makes for good stuff. But it's great that the one car teams are are, are, are ac- able to access it and able to benefit from it.
0: Yeah, benefit. How much we'll uh, find out over the next few rounds. So, in regards to this uh, racing, Crowley, a, a tip for the week ahead.
2: Oh no, no, I don't have one. It's no. too hard. Um, no, well, look, I I, I would. It's impossible to put your money against Scott McLaughlin and, but there's no point putting money on him because his odds are so short. Yeah. Um, and, and what we saw in Adelaide was just the work of a driver at the peak of his power, a team that has such a good inherent understanding of their car and has unlocked more in their car since last year, body shape or not. They're, they're, they've they got a brand that's back in the game and they've got a new body shape that is aerodynamically better than last year's car and no one's going to argue with you on that so I mean it's, it's hard to back against him that's the obvious choice but if I had to go out on a limb I, I would say that I would like to see Will Davison somewhere in and about the podium because as Dale touched on it was just great to see 23 Red which is now technically the fourth, fourth ticket racing car um, it was so good to see them in the mix at Adelaide and, and we, we talked about Hazelwood and, uh, and Winterbottom, but, but they deserve as, as much kudos as well. And that Milwaukee Ford was fast. So maybe, maybe a, a Will Davo podium could be my prediction for the weekend. I think the other prediction is we see Triple Eight slam home a race win or two just to get their account up and rolling. I, I can't see them finishing third too many times this season.
0: Before we let you go, mate, uh, Porsche Carrera Cup, uh, Porsche Pace Carrera Cup, of course, uh, running around the streets of Adelaide again, I think in its 15th year uh, at the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, Going to be another ripper of a weekend, I would have thought, for those cars as well.
2: Yeah, it always is. And it's the same deal there in that we don't have a clear championship picture yet with what happened in Adelaide. And it was a great weekend. And Nick McBride uh, dominated the field. But as we saw last year, in, the category is so competitive that if you have one good weekend, your next one might be utterly terrible and you find yourself on the back foot. So for Nick, championship leader, home event, he's been really quick there before and has a lot of miles at that venue, probably more than just about anyone else in the pro field in a Cup. So I'm looking for Nick to continue his good run of form, um, but I'm looking for the juniors. I'm looking for Thomas Maxwell. I'm looking for Cooper Murray, the young guns. I feel like it's the kind of track that's going to suit these kids. Um, wide open expanses compared to Adelaide. They'll have a little bit more bravado now they've got a weekend under their belt. Uh, and I think they're going to mix it up. So, as always, it's a hugely competitive championship. Great fun to watch and to call. And um, a, a wide open round that that will have absolutely we'll, – we'll be having the same discussion next week. Shebex, yeah. who do we think is going to win for cup? I've got no idea because there's <laughs> half a dozen of them that could do it. So. Yeah, good series.
0: And the other supports, there's plenty of others there, but GT Racing as well. Formula Fours are there. They're going to have a field of around about 18 since they've handed out about 10 free rides uh, to people. So it'd be great to see a big field of Formula Fours hitting the track at Albert Park as well. Kwasi, thank you very much for your time, mate. Really do appreciate as always. Catch you at the track on Thursday.
2: Thanks, boys. And as always, keep in mind, hot or not, power rankings post-Albert Park. We want people's... Feedback, opinion. We want their ratings. Hit us up on social media at the Race Talk or any of us on uh, our personal accounts. What do you think was good out of Melbourne? Uh, what do you think wasn't good? Let us know after the race weekend, and if it makes the column, we'll flick you a hat or a t-shirt or something like that.
0: I've got a feeling that this is going to be a good one this week because we're going to have such an array of things, especially with Formula One there as well. It's going to be. Dude, a I,
2: re- I reckon there's going to be a lot of not. I'm just throwing it out there. Does Daniel Ricardo?
0: Think- Can we say Daniel Ricardo? Not straight away. No, Do no, no. column. Right.
1: he's in the right column. I t- I'll tell you, I'll put my bet on not now, Williams.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I, Very I don't even cold. think they make the column. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's <laughs> said I
0: don't know. All right, buddy. Catch you during the week. Thanks, boys. See you Richard Crowe joining us here on the grid. <laughs> As we say goodbye to Richard Quayle, we say good day to Todd Hazelwood who had a fantastic uh, round one uh, at Adelaide, uh, just an amazing start to 2019 and he joins us on the line now. day, Todd. hey oh, mate. How are you? Thanks oh, for
3: having me
0: on the show. No, thank you for coming on. Uh, we should congratulate you straight off the top for being uh, picked the people's choice drive of the round, I think, for Adelaide, according to the Supercars website. Mate, it was... Uh, it was just one of those weekends where just everything went right for you and you must have left the track with a massive smile.
3: Yeah, look, it was a probably more of a relief more than anything for the team and I. And, uh, you know, as, as everyone does, we put a hell of a lot of effort in behind the scenes in the lead-up to the season and for it all to come together, throw all the car out of the truck and be on the money was uh, a yeah, really pleasant surprise for everyone. And, yeah, can't wait for more coming into the rest of the year now.
1: Todd, let's just go back a little bit. Uh, the... 2018 season, you embarked on what looked like a, a great program with a DJR Team Penske Ford, albeit that it was it was the car. We understand that. Big change mid year, and then you got into the ZB uh, at the end of last year for a test. Just take us through the sort of the roller coaster you went on in 2018. Oh well, look, it was
3: certainly a roller coaster, and um, you know there's a lot of things that we had to manage over the season as you manage, as you take taking that as car change in the middle of it, which is pretty unheard of um, in this modern era of motorsport that we do. today to be able to do that deal with triple eight early on in the season where we you know from a small card team, you know, we really were relying on, on a source of information coming through and it's kinda of one of those things what was promised wasn't delivered and what was delivered was two different things. So we had to get away from that and call the quit essentially early as we could and you know, that's the best group for us was obviously the Triple Eight programme and you know I think it showed at one and Adelaide the power of what that can do for a small team like us and yeah, we look forward to
0: seeing what we can do more in the future now. Todd, we spoke to you a couple of times for our 2018, and you were always extremely honest and upfront and saying that it's always been a two-year deal for you. you know, don't judge me on this first year. We Have a look at what happens next year. When we were saying that, when you were saying that to us, were you aware of what was going to happen gear-wise for you 2019? Were you aware that you were going to have such a major change to your car and your ability to actually compete?
3: Look, it's, you always never know what sort of uh, level of competition you're going to be getting, or I suppose what sort of capability you're going to be signing up for. But um, certainly on paper, we knew that there was certainly potential to, to do something really good, and that was the whole motive about flipping over earlier, you know, halfway through last year. Was you know we had the that we could, um, I suppose, show some commitment towards them, and part of that was signing up the Holden straight away. And then knowing that there was going to be a Zepi Commodore in our fleet come 2009, part of that, that handover deal. So, yeah, look, we, you know, we were pretty adamant that that was the direction that we had to take. And we did our homework over the off-season, and we had a couple of test days in the car, before round ones, which certainly helped. And yeah, I think uh, you know, what we proved to Adelaide is certainly a small glimpse of what can, what can be achieved with this new program.
1: Todd uh, Matt Stone's obviously had success right through the, the Super Two series and uh, has built a great little team around him. But with this new package, do you have from Triple Eight? Has your processes and things changed? Now you're, you're obviously getting a full customer program from Triple Eight, or is it is that just an overlay on your program? Or has the approach actually changed at track?
3: Look, the, the approach hasn't really changed too much for us. I think the biggest thing, you know, working with my engineer, working with Eagle and I, is that we have another. I suppose tool in, in the toolbox that we can use and that is the technical partnership that we have with Triple Eight now. And, you know, for me as a driver, it's fantastic to be able to overlay myself against you know, two, believe two of the best guys in the game. And, you know, obviously having the, the constant updated engineering package uh, throughout the season is only going to help us like a small team. So we, you know, we don't have the capability and that's the same reason be able, you know, we don't have multiple engineers to be able to study these things and develop parts and, and all the other aspects that go along with it. So, you know, that's the whole idea of the alliance there, which will you know, no doubt help us more as the
2: year goes on and on.
0: Moving on from Adelaide, of course, as you said, it is a, a massive year ahead, and we head off to the Australian Grand Prix this weekend. Uh, confidence levels going onto the streets of, Adela- onto the streets of Melbourne?
3: Oh, look, you always got to have your expectations in check. You know, this championship at the moment is so competitive, and... You can't afford to blink because you can be, uh, you can go from here to zero pretty quick. So, you know, for us, we just kind of keep our feet firmly on the ground. Um, obviously, build and what we learned at Adelaide. You know, for us at Adelaide, we learned a lot. You know, that was probably the best thing about it, is that we made a lot of, um, a lot of steps forward as the weekend went on and we only kept improving. Uh, and by Sunday, we had really good pace. So, you know, for us, Melbourne Grand Prix is a fast, flowing circuit. Obviously, it's known as a street circuit, but totally different to the street for Adelaide. So, we can, we're fully aware of this, and you know, hopefully, you know, we can roll out, the, out of the truck on the money again. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Where we've only got a couple of short practice sessions, and then we start into um, four or ten minutes of qualifying. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a quite a different event for us, and yeah, look forward to the challenge.
1: The livery that you've struck this year, Todd, was striking. It looks mm-hmm. great on track. It looks look great in the PR photos, and you, you, you had a new sponsor on board. Uh, for Adelaide, is that will that continue at the Grand Prix, or is it, it going to be a sort of a revolving uh, a signage deal?
3: Uh, so what we have now is a revolving, revolving signage deal. Um, so yeah, for our for our program this year, we thought that was the best way forward, and you know, it's fantastic to try and keep delivery in a monotone look. I think it looks fantastic in that silver and black, and yeah, for us, you know, have, having having Unit on board for the first time in 2019 was exciting and they're um, yeah, then it come late in the piece that so they decided to step it up even more for Adelaide, which is great. So, you know, start the start, of it, start the season on a high with on Blue was really exciting, and we've got a new deal in the works for uh, the Grand Prix, which will be
0: announced shortly too. I know that you're a man that loves getting his hands dirty in regards to all that. Is that still the case? Are you still uh, going around knocking on the doors to get those major sponsors, that, those major sponsorships done, and on a revolving uh, sponsorship deal? Does that make life just a little bit tougher for you?
3: Oh, it's obviously from a signage department. It makes it a little bit tougher, but um, you know what we do internally, um, it's always a it's always a tough game, and uh, you know trying to find a sponsorship is always a challenge. But you know, I think with the commercial, uh, sorry, with the revolving sponsorship, it actually provides a greater opportunity for for getting brands on board, and you know, everyone wants to be known as a naming rights partner. So I think it's a quite exciting opportunity for all brands, and um, you know for the people that we have on board, who we'll agree that it's a good thing, and. No, I think we'll, we'll make it work. I think the biggest thing that we've seen in the past is there's been different colours that have always been used and it makes it hard to keep the identity of the car the same whereas I think, you know, using this monotone look will be able to keep the fans engaged with who we are as a team and we'll um, make sure that the sponsors that we have board for those particular rounds get the most out of it and, you now, from my, my own personal point of view, you know, being involved with the team still heavily but uh, I've taken a, a step back in that department, you know, of... We've got a new commercial manager working with the team now who's taken a great step forward within the team. And you know, for me, it's a bit of a relief because now I can focus on being more of a racing car driver. I would be putting some hours and um, days of the week in, into doing all that race, all, all the other action stuff. But um, yeah, it's all about trying to improve myself on track rather than off track.
1: You had a welcome show Commodore trying to drill the back of your car on that <laughs> pit lane uh, fiasco at, at Adelaide. Uh, your thoughts now on the closed pit lane strategy that supercars will introduce uh, from Philip Island I believe
3: Oh look I think considering the situation we haven't seen a car park that <laughs> parallel against all the oncoming traffic in a long time so obviously an odd situation but I think you know the teams and the drivers did a pretty good job uh, considering the circumstances you know to think that you know, another guy that took place I heard or another driver got pushed down the lane it was quite a miracle so you've my point of view, in that instance, it was pretty awkward because <laughs> you the drivers always know that you can't go into that part of pit lane because it's a penalty. And then James Courtney made made up my mind pretty quickly what I was going to do when he started pushing me. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things. And I think, you know, sitting on the safety car is a great thing with strategy. It mixes the race up and it keeps fans on the edge of their seat. So, you know, hopefully we don't lose too much of the element. And obviously, it's only a trial, so we'll see what happens.
0: All right, Todd. Well, we wish you all the best, mate. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, congratulations on the start for 2019 at Adelaide, and may that continue throughout the remainder of the season for you. Thank
3: you, Jen, I appreciate your support, and, yeah,
0: looking forward to seeing what you here with the Grand Prix this weekend. Todd Hazel, joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, time to talk everything two wheels, and we do that with our mate Mark Brax, who joins us on the line. today, Braxy. G'day, mate. How are you? Uh, I'm fantastic. And I'll tell you what, my heart's only just recovering from what were two <laughs> of the best finishes in a motorbike race I've seen for a while. Uh, let's talk about the Moto GP first up before we get into Remy Gardner and, and that fantastic finish in Moto2. But, gee, as I tell you what, Divisioso is really starting to stamp some sort of authority now as being a guy that is here and is going to make a lot of waves against some other big names. And those other big names, of course, are Marquez and Rossi and Lorenzo. But Divisioso I think, really from last year, put his hand up and said, I'm going to make a fist of this. And this year it looks like he's actually taken it by the horns and is running with it.
4: Yeah, well, we've taken in the last couple of years uh, to Mark Marquette and they've had some epic battles in the last couple of years. As, like you said, Tone, um, he's really got the grips with this Ducati. Uh, he's at home, he's an Italian and an Italian team. He's got an Italian with him now and Petrucci, who's uh, pretty not too shabby himself when it comes to being able to put a motorcycle around. He ended up um, six on the road then, uh, last night or this morning. But, yeah, the, uh, and he's got a team around him. They're all forever uh, pushing the envelope of development, as we're seeing every time they come out on track. They seem to have some other gizmo attached to the bike. And uh, it, went, it actually went to the stewards' room after the race because uh, a number of teams, basically all by Yamaha, protested the uh, Ducati because it had another duct or what you just spoiler duct or whatever mm. um, uh, surrounding the rear wheel or the rear tyre, which uh, people were thinking that it was supposed to offer extra cooling for the tyre to keep it cool after all the torturous temperatures they get to. But fortunately for the sport, it's been kicked out. And, you know, whatever they've done, they've done it within the rules. And that's what engineers are there for, aren't they? They give them a rule book and say, well, see what you can export out of this. And Ducati have done it. They had a wheelie control put onto the bike, which had everybody else guessing. But the uh, uh led for most of the race and kept... Basically, won in the slowest possible time because they slowed the, the race down. Um, and I'm talking about a second a lap. These guys, a second a lap is um, daylight sort of thing. So, um, De Vizioso led it remarkably well, made only one little error about the second last lap. Yeah. we ran it a bit wide. but Which he did last like year too, didn't he, Bruxy? Yeah, but I was looked at the replay again. I'm thinking, I don't know if it was a mistake. I think he's just let it out wide. Okay, mate, you can have a bit of a leap for a while, and I'm just going to have a look at you. I know I can get you back on the state anytime I want to with the power of the Ducati. And um, you know, evidently now they're putting out 290 horsepower, these things. It's um, <laughs> mind-boggling. Yeah. approaching speed as well, over 350 kilometres an hour down the state, the Visi and they had another. It was almost a carbon copy to the final act like, last year. Yeah. Where um, Marquez hooked in and went a bit wide, and Divisioso managed to run the drag of the line. And in the last four years, I think uh, Divisioso's been on the podium um, every time. He's both his older Catana last few years of the second, which I suppose the car does suit the be patty because it's got that long kilometre straight, but you've still got to join the straight up from one end to the other. And um, that was proven that uh, Alex Rins on the team at Suzuki X-Star Machine, he was right up there uh, for the majority of the race. And it was probably um, embarrassment for him about the way he got hosed on the straights by the other guys. Yeah. But at least Suzuki can know where they really sit now in the, the pecking order. And his teammate, uh, Johan Mir, wasn't far behind either. He was right up there for a while before he faded back to eight. Um, but arguably the ride of the race, I suppose, for the uh, aficionados and uh would be Valentino Rossi after starting fourteenth on the grid. Amazing. Um, proving that he is a Sunday rider, um, and in the best way. He's not just the Sunday driver sort of thing. He's uh struggled during the practice sessions and the qualifying, didn't even make Q two, had to stop that we was that that far back, the uh had to go into Q one. He didn't he opened the uh timesheets with the fastest uh, in free practice one. But from there, he's weak, then been backwards. But uh, then we got to the race day, and Bob's your uncle again, but um, he's away again and a remarkable performance. And probably more important to him is that he beat his teammate by 1.8 seconds as well. The, um yeah. Maverick Vignali's the, po- the pole sitter who... Basically, that's the closest he got to the victory on the weekend. end was uh, pole position because he, he got a shocker of a start. He was shuffled out in the first couple of corners. He was back to ninth or tenth at one stage. And um, managed to get through the seventh. He looked like he was threatening. But again, the Yamaha looks like it's got that problem of uh, getting the drive out of the corners and being able to get the, get the bike to hook up and compete because they were close but not right there to be up, actually threatening in the end. Um, Valentino Rossi only point six of a second off, but that's still about seven or eight bike lengths and yet um, also the closest top fifteen in the history of the sport with the top well top sixteen covered by sixteen seconds. It's amazing, so, yeah, remarkable, and. Uh, Whatever Dorna have done, and we know without going into all the nitty-gritty about you know, the ECUs and everything, they've certainly uh, got a spectacle that is arguably the best um, motorsport world championship to watch. I
0: thought another great ride was uh, Cal Crutchlow. It was his first ride since Philip Island, since, of course, he went to hospital after that uh, shocking crash last year. And uh, I was interesting to read that he said he couldn't feel his bum for 15 laps because someone got him with a, a footpeg.
4: Yeah, well, that would be uh, understandable because there was some post-proximity racing and the, the lean angles they get on these ones uh, these days and uh, the way they lean into each other. Yeah, it's quite... Uh, and in that closed uh, first couple of laps, I'm surprised he didn't get hit by a wayward um, seat pad that um, oh, Jack Miller had lifted from his bike after uh, a pretty good start To Jack. He qualified on um, fourth position. Leaving uh, leading the in the second row of the grid. Uh got off to a fine start, mind you. But uh after about the second lap he um sat up and looked around and everything and obviously someone didn't let the glue sit or they uh, mistook the uh, adhesive for a bit of um <laughs> a bit of um grease or something 'cause uh That's shocking the, um Start of the third lap, I think it was. He's uh, ripped the seat from underneath him and turfed it. But um, it's amazing he it didn't hit anybody. and at that speed, they're uh, circulating that, if, even if it was a bit of foam, it'd uh, give you a bit of a surge.
0: I'm actually surprised he wasn't cautioned or at least sanctioned by uh, by the stewards for doing that because it it was an unsafe thing to do.
4: Yeah, and I suppose well, we don't know. He might have been. Uh, they might have gone had a word with him afterwards or whatever, but hasn't been made public. But Yeah, you don't want to be doing things like that, but in defence of Jack, it's in the heat of the moment. Yeah, you know, you're panicking and then I've got to get rid of that thing and just flick it off before it sends me off the bike. And he had to retire with 10 laps to go because he had to change his riding style and uh, shag the front tyre instead of the rear. And he had no grip. He was sliding all over the place. So I had to, had to uh, retire. But speaking of um, getting flustered, um, Fabio Quadrado. The uh, new kid on the block, fresh from the oh, moto. That was a great moto-tale. ride. Yeah. Um, well, he surprised everybody by being the second uh, well, second Yamaha on the grid behind uh, his satellite teammate, Vinales, the new-look team of uh, these guys, uh, the Patronus Yamaha SRT team. Um, great. He was in fifth position on the grid and stalled it before the warm-up lap. So the young, I think he's 21 or 22, and just it, pushed it off the grid. They got it started, but because it was pushed off the grid, he had to start from pit lane. So all that good work in uh, qualifying and going down the tube, but he managed to get back into uh, an halfway decent position, 16th, considering that he uh, only 17 seconds behind the leaders. So he did a pretty good effort with um, Quintero. And at times, putting him fastest up of the race, but he was the fastest up of the race. Uh, and that three, when he had a clear track in front of him in the middle, and he had the uh, probably had a bit of a fire in the belly yeah. to try and catch up with everybody. But mate, there's, gonna, there's so many stories that we could be talking about this week in Quebec. We could be talking in the week.
0: Well, one more story that I want to have a chat to you about from the race before we look at the Moto Two was uh, Jorge Lorenzo. I can't get used to seeing his name down the timesheets as far as we were.
4: Well, he had a he had a big one in free uh, practice. Yeah, he did, on, didn't he? Um, he did that on the first on the outlet. Uh, and his thing been done. Uh, Marquette, did the same thing a couple of laps later. But Marquette was probably a bit of a fault in his own or, and or the wind pushing him off the track and the, uh, uh, the turf on the outside of the uh, curbs caught him out. But wind is coming out through one of the first left-handers on the course. Uh, gave it a bit too much and uh, launched himself over the bars and slapped himself to the ground pretty badly. I and mean, he didn't even take part in any of the rest of the sessions. Um, went straight to the medical centre. He looked all- okay on camera, but these guys can um, have broken bones and they look all right when they're walking. And I really think that he still hasn't recovered from the skateboard injury from the motorcross accident, mm. also from the uh, hand injury that he had when he uh, where was that at Thailand towards the end of last year Correct. that was forced him for the rest of the season and <clears throat> getting used to a new bike and uh, the different characteristics of the Ducati and the Honda, completely different uh, animals when it comes to power delivery and uh, reaction and everything and I think he's just a bit gun shy at the moment, poor old Jorge. Um, yeah, like you said, he was down there in uh, 16th position on the grid um, no, 15th pardon me, he was beside his old teammate Valentino Rossi, he was in 14th position uh, Lorenzo had managed to get through the uh, 13th uh, but still, only fourteen seconds behind, and he's like he is. He's got to be. He's got to be busted up, and he's one guy that when he crashes, he hurts himself. Whereas when Mark crashes, he just seems to bounce back and gets a bit more uh, absorbent than for crashing. He doesn't seem to hurt himself that
0: much. Mm. Uh, amazing stuff. Now let's look at the Moto Two and Remy Gardner missing out on his debut podium by. Two one thousandths of a second point zero zero two of a second. That was a close photo finish for third.
4: Yeah, very much so. You don't get much closer than that. It was like the uh well, I suppose the front the the depth of the front tire was basically looking at the uh the photo finish of the event. Um but he was up there, he was battling for the podium the whole time. Baldissari and Thomas Lute, he managed to get away towards the end of the race. Um but still, um, a great, great debut for Remy in that team. Um, he struggled last year on a, basically a pile of crap on the Tech Three machine, yeah. Um, and everybody in the paddock knew that he did the best thing he could last year by continually beating his teammate. And he's managed to get a ride now. Um, obviously, it's cost a bit of money, uh, but you know, it, I think he's paid his dues now as uh, Remy Garner, and people are now. Uh, basically give him respect for the ride of the years that now that he can actually show his medal. Um, I think we'll see Remy on the uh, podium many times this year and I'll be very surprised if he doesn't win a race this year.
0: Now, I'm with you, mate. I think he's got uh, some great opportunities this year and, and hopefully, uh, I'm not sure what you're thinking, Braxy, but is this could this be the breakout year for him?
4: Yeah. Yeah, um, I think so. He's 21 years old now, just turned 21 in February. Um, He's, you know, he's got a big load on his shoulders of having the name Gardner tattooed across his backside on the leathers. He's got a lot to live up to, but he's one determined little critter. Um, My respect value for him went up um, 10, 20 times last year after he, uh, in a training accident, at the back of his house in Barcelona, at the back of his house, but near his house in Barcelona, where he lives at Sitges, down uh, south of Barcelona. Uh, motor crossing, bit of um, probably antics, bit of peer group pressure, and showing off a bit. Takes out on a jump, and didn't break his legs. He smashed his ankles and his legs. Yeah. His, uh, I think it was a nine hour operation, Wayne was telling me in the end. Um, Wayne was would have been quite happy if he'd given up racing then. But he came back less than uh, three weeks later and I raced in Barcelona, his name G P and scored his best result of the year. Couldn't couldn't have helped him for the bike. They basically had to lift him on and off the bike and that showed me what the uh garden of determination and um sense of no self-preservation, runs strong in the jeans, that's for sure. And I think that proves a lot of people he's not just a, a fly-by-nighter, that he could get on the bike carrying those injuries and still put in the results. And he, that continued through to the rest of the year. He got some, you know, he was he was there. He was knocking on the door, except for the uh, real kicker castles from Tech 3. There was only two Tech 3 frame machines in the, uh, uh, the Moto 2 uh, category last year, and he was none of them. And now he's on this Callex, which everybody in the top 10 was on a Cal-X, Um has proven that that is the way to go. But I've got to say, mate, the sound on the grid of those 30 odd motorcycles powered by the 7.65 Triumph Triple Cylinder machine, absolutely heaven. Um, there's something about yeah. a triple Cylinder machine that is, uh, just steals my heart away compared to a four cylinder, a two stroke, or anything else. They are just magnificent to listen to.
0: All right, a couple of weeks away, we head off to Argentina. we got anything on next week, uh, bike-wise?
4: Yeah, we've got the uh, first, second round of the World Superbikes in Buriman in Thailand, which is still user-friendly for our TV viewing pleasure. Uh, three hours behind they are at the moment until the end of the month when the, the clocks go back. Uh, for people in Sydney, we've got the International Festival of Speed out there at the Sydney Motorsport Park this weekend with uh, John McGuinness, uh, Jeremy McWilliams and other uh, legends of the sport coming out to have a bit of a play. And then the following weekend, uh, all eyes will be on Wakefield Park in Goldman for the second round of the Australian Superbike Championship, which uh, is probably just as frantic as what the MotoGP GP grid is like after what the antics that the lads got up to in Phillip Island a few weeks ago. We are in for one stellar season. I highly recommend anybody that's uh, around the racetrack that's listening to your podcast tone to keep an eye out for the Australian Superbike Championship at seven rounds during the year because the racing here, I eclipsed the Superbikes a couple of weeks ago, and it'll be the best racing anywhere in Australia during the course of the year, too. I reckon the competition here this year is
0: astronomical. Yeah, it certainly is, Brax. look forward to catching up with you next week.
4: Alright, mate. No worries. All Good as always, mate. Take care.
0: You too. Mark Brax joining us here on The Grid. <laughs> That wraps up another episode of On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com, here on mypodcasthouse.com. We look forward to catching you again next week with a full wrap of what happened at Albert Park and the F1 Grand Prix.